Education is personal. It is experiential. We learn best by doing. You'll hear about that in my conversation with Matt Baudreau. Our sponsor today, Pretty Little Light Candle Co. started as just that, a learning experience. And that experience turned into a business. Lauren and her daughter create beautiful soy candles with safe, phthalate-free fragrances. When you buy from Pretty Little Light, you are getting a small batch, solid product, and at the same time supporting a true, small, family-owned business and allowing kids the beauty of education through entrepreneurship. That's something we discussed today. Visit prettylittlelightcandleco.com and use the code BOOMCLAP to save 20% on your order. Welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Matt Baudreau, president of Apogee Strong. As you'll hear in the interview, I became acquainted with him through his short form observations posted on social media. Cecily and I both have wanted to have someone on to hash out the male role a bit and why our generation is having to be reminded of what that looks like. Matt and I also in this conversation divert for quite a while into the realm of education. Matt has delivered TED Talks, been a keynote speaker around the globe on some pretty big stages. In this episode, he references a conversation with Tulsi Gabbard, and today he's taking time to have a conversation with us. It's evident he truly believes in what he and Tim Kennedy are building through Apogee, and I know that you'll all enjoy this episode. So let's get into it. Hi, Matt. We are so happy to have you on with us today. Uh, I had just reached out to you the other day about coming on our podcast and kind of talking about reviving the male leadership role and how culturally we've gotten away from males naturally fulfilling that role that they were designed to um, and just the fact that we need to retrain that and cultivate that strength back. So that's kind of the jumping off point of what we're going to be talking about today. But first, can you kind of introduce yourself to our listeners Perfect. Yeah. Honor is mine, Rita. I appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you asking. It's always an honor to be asked. Um, yeah, I'll give the, the, the high level. We'll go anywhere that you want to go afterwards. You know, I, I tell people I'm a career educator, um, what means I came out of the game of school. So, um, was, a, at Stanford for, for quite a while, was a public school teacher and administrator, private school teacher and administrator, which is why I left all of those to start schools of my own, uh, started in a number of schools, while simultaneously working with Fortune 500s around the world. And uh, I was a keynote speaker and have spoken to almost half a million people uh, from the stage at, at this point. Um, and then my friend and I, a gentleman named Tim Kennedy, who a lot of the listeners may know, um, yeah. you know, Tim said, hey, I want to open one of your schools. So, all right, well, let's work on that. So we started opening one of the schools. And then he and I were discussing, you know, even in our schools, what we're seeing, exactly what you're talking about is, is this kind of degradation of, of the male role. And it starts really, really early, you know, it starts at childhood and what we're doing to our young men. And so we said, man, we've got so many good guys in our network, you know, between the two of us, we know so many good men. What if we get these good men in front of these young men? Um, let's start virtual so we can just kind of go wide and, and see what we can do. And we developed a virtual mentorship program, which has now turned into a mentorship program for men. We've got another one launching for ladies, and then Tim and I are going to be launching our own schools and doing live events as well. So uh, a lot of good things in the work. Okay. So I just stumbled across you on social media by way mm -hmm. of people sharing your short posts and just comments that you had. And typically, I do not like short form because it tends to be like clickbait material. But what you put out, I was drawn to because it's just you have a way of saying things very concisely that uh, initiate 
critical thinking. And I feel like that's something that's very much lacking in our world. But anyway, that's how I was introduced to you. And I don't really know much about you other than I agree with a lot of the little things that you say on social media. And so I'm excited for this conversation, mainly from the standpoint that I'm just learning about you and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, one thing, one reason I wanted to talk to you about this and one reason um, the lack of male strength was brought to light for me was throughout the COVID, um, you know, mm. agenda and all of that. And I have no idea where you stand on it. I can surmise probably where you stand on it, but I don't know exactly. Mm. But, um, I was very much advocating. I was in a nursing role. I lost my job, all of that kind of stuff and was willing to stand. But what I was seeing were a lot of moms taking that role of standing and speaking up and strength. Mm. And the mm. men were kind of sitting back. So mm. I guess, do you have anything to say about that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I yeah, I fully fully understand. I'm glad and again, I'm glad to go anywhere and everywhere that I'm an open book. Um and I'm okay, you know, I appreciate the the comment around the critical thinking too because I, I don't even half the time when we talk about critical thinking, the reality is most people aren't even thinking. Most people are uh-huh. just yes. they're just saying they're just following the status quo, they're just doing what they're told. They're doing, you know, they're going with the flow, they're doing the you know way this has always been kind of stuff. Critical thinking is a f- way far step. From- <laughs> yeah, like let's just think first. <laughs> let's just think first, right? Yeah. And then you start to think about your thinking, and that's where it starts to get critical, right? So, um, you know, but I, I agree. I think we saw it a lot with the moms. At least they were the ones that were most um, vocal. I did see some guys, you know, fighting back too. But um, it is interesting that I really think it was both sides. I think men and women, for the most part either you were either laying down um, or you were fighting back. But a lot of the laying down was just because people were afraid of one particular thing or another. And that's where, you know, I, I, we start with school, man. It's, it's a fear-based mindset that people are operating in. And usually they're like, Oh, I I met so many people. I'm sure you did too. Oh yeah. I don't really want to take this jab, but I'm going to lose my job. Oh, I don't really want to, to do this, but, oh, but it's just so much easier, but my mom and dad are going to get mad at me, but the neighbors over here are going to complain, but the, we always have this fear and it's almost always somebody else is going to be upset with us. And so mm-hmm. we laid down and that was just a prime example. It was a, it was a fuel to the fire to just get a real quick glimpse of who's going to lay down the quickest. Um, I don't lay down and I'm glad you didn't either. Yeah. So when it comes to starting these schools and, you know, trying to raise up men again, mm-hmm. what spurred this in you? And have you always been this way or did you have a changing point in your life that made you, you know, want to go this direction? Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a really good question. I've always had a little bit of a... Um, a fire inside that I didn't want to be the same as everybody else, but not in a just rebel for the sake of rebelling. I noticed very early on that most people didn't, didn't live their life. They weren't pulling the strings. They weren't sovereign. They weren't making their own decisions. Um, and and that was always unattractive to me. Um, and it really came out, you know, for me, there was, there were certain points graduating high school and I had gotten my straight A's but I had nothing to offer the world. I didn't know who I was. I just knew I, I knew how to obey and play school. So I go to college and get my straight A's and 
came back out and I turned on a job at the White House, but then was at the same point and just went, cool. Now what? I still have nothing to offer the world. I'm doing everything everybody is telling me to do and I've got nothing to show for it. I don't have any self-awareness, you know, so got to the point where I realized that all education is self-education. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that can't be taught, but they can be learned. And, and I hadn't learned them because I hadn't experienced them. I'd been taught all of these things, you know, so really coming out of coming out of college and turning down that job and going, cool, man, I have done all the quote unquote right things and know nothing about myself. And I don't think I'm a man at this point. I'm a 22 year old human being. I should be taking on a bunch of responsibilities a generation ago. I'd probably have a bunch of kids and, you know, have a business. Maybe that I haven't, I'm a, I'm a child. Uh, and I don't think that's okay. And so then as I start building out these schools, as I start working for these organizations that are hiring me because they've got the 22 year olds and 23 year olds that are out of Harvard and Stanford and MIT, and they're all really, really smart, but they're hiring me to come in because they're going, Hey, they all suck. We want to fire all of them. They're, they're not resilient. They're not, we just saw these patterns over and over and over again. Um, and so that's why we decided, okay, we're going to build this roadmap for these guys to learn the things that they need to learn that can't be taught. Yeah. So what do you think is lacking in the traditional school system? Well, the traditional schools, so we've got a multifaceted issues. We don't have, you know, obviously we got the fatherless home issue. Mm -hmm. We also have fathers who are in the home who are perpetual children, right? They're mm -hmm. not taking up massive responsibility. They're not, um, you know, keeping themselves in physical condition, spiritual, emotional, feel like they're just, they're not showing up the way they need to show up. So we've got a couple of these things here. And then you've got a school system that we send people to that is designed for slavery. It's not something that is lacking in the school system. The school system itself is designed to break human beings. It's not designed. Yeah. <laughs> and people get upset when I say that mostly teachers and administrators. I was a teacher. I was an administrator. I am on your side. If you are a good human being in this system, but I'm not on the side of the system because that's what it's for. So, you know, the, we go outside of developmental needs, uh, and we keep them, you know, the students busy doing things that don't matter. Uh, and the habits that we are reinforcing, aren't habits of being excited about finding out who you are and what you can offer the world. They're habits of how quickly can you obey? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's by design, obviously. By, yeah. hundred percent by design. Um, and it hurts the boys the most because boys develop a little bit, a little bit differently. There's blanket developmental ranges, but they develop a little bit differently than, than females. And they want to, man, they've, They've got the DNA to, to get after it. They want to, you know, go slay the dragon, man. They want to go rescue the princess. Like that's in there. But what do we do? We go, okay, no, you need to sit there. You need to be quiet. You need to listen to some, something that's would bore the hell out of any adult. Um, but you five-year-old are going to need to sit there and obey. And if not, well, then we're going to tell you, you've got a methamphetamine deficiency. And so we got to get you on something, you know, early and often. Right. And so we're, we're starting our boys off right there. So yep. then they're looking for that adventure and then they go home to some of these weak parents sometimes. And, and again, I'm not going to, I want people to hear what I say here, because, uh, if you don't think about this, you'll take it the wrong way. But if they go home to weak parents who are sending them into this system that says, obey, 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 and it's fighting their DNA. 
And then the parents don't want to engage or interact with them either. And so they go, well, look, here's a screen, here's the video game. And I'm not villainizing you as a parent. If you let your kids watch TV, if you let them play video games, but listen to what I'm saying. They have that all day. Then they come home and they're looking for that adventure. And that adventure gets fulfilled with a screen or a video game. And so now that's all they want to do. And they're checking off these boxes that has been, you know, God gifted them with so they could go lead, go on this adventure. We're checking all of these things off in an artificial environment. And we're wondering why when they're in their 20s, they're incapable of doing real work, having real conversations, being in a real relationship, really leading others. Well, when you set that foundation of artificial garbage, what do you think the building on top of that foundation is going to look like? Okay. There's so much I want to say there. So much. Um, So I'm going to try to kind of move through what I want to say and then have you respond to each thing. Methamphetamine deficiency. Oh my gosh. I can't believe you said that, but I'm really glad you did because my husband and I have this conversation quite frequently because in our communities, uh, most, I would say we know more boys on ADHD medication, which is essentially, I mean, it's, it's an amphetamine and most people won't add the meth part to it, but you know, that's essentially what it is. Uh, my nephew actually, I think in his class, he's the only boy not on medication. And I, it's so sad. I was just talking to a gal the other day that was explaining to me how her son comes home and he, he just takes a small lunch because he's not hungry because of the medication he's on. And then he comes home and eats a really good supper because he can't eat at lunchtime because the medication makes him not hungry. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh. And you don't want to, um, I have very strong opinions and people know that about me, but I try not to push them on others, just like guide them, you know, because you can't really just say, no, that's wrong. You know, nobody wants to listen to that. You kind of have to guide and lead away from what you're doing. But anyway, I just wanted to pull that out that you said that. And I appreciate that and agree. Checking off boxes, the, you know, artificial environment. Oh my gosh. So you had, um, posted something that said, you know, can we, uh, something about an app for parents to arrange marriages. I think this is one of the first things that drew me into your uh, content was, can we create an app where kids are not schooled, not jabbed, physically fit, hardworking, well-read, no God, not raised on social media or video games, not default anxious, and have an understanding of male and female. Mm-hmm. I know very, very few kids that could fit into that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe they're um, not jabbed and physically fit, but they're raised on social media and video games. You know, right. it's it, very few fit that. I I agree. And that's, you know, and, and um, for me, it's about, it's not a being on a high horse or it's uh-huh. not about uh, proselytizing. And it's not about that. It is about getting back to factory settings what how do oh, we that's a good way of putting it that's it it's it's we are you know i've got a i've got a favorite poem that i reference often and i reference it for a couple of different reasons um it's a poem by dh lawrence and it's a very short poem and it's it's called on self-pity and it says i never saw a wild thing sorry for itself a small bird will fall frozen dead from a bow without ever having felt sorry for itself 
And, you know, there's part of that, the self-pity part that I appreciate, you know, the wild things don't, don't have self, they don't waste a moment on self-pity. They're just doing what they need to do. But that's the second part of it is they do what they need to do. The lion is never trying to be the bird. The bird's never trying to be the monkey. The monkey's never trying to be the tortoise. The no- like they are just busy doing their thing. We have all this external garbage that we take on from the moment we come out. And I'm talking the moment we come out, you know, you got the, you know, the medical system as well as I do better than I do. I mean, you were in, I just had a baby and we had to advocate, you know, even in a natural setting, you know, even in a natural setting. Right. And it's like the moment they come out, it's like, no, we got to do something to this rather than celebrating and exploring what this, what this small being is and allowing them to be that and just grow as they are supposed to grow. We're doing all these external things. So I'm not advocating doing a bunch of extra stuff. I'm actually advocating getting rid of all the garbage that you've been taught to pour in. Okay. That's really good. So that's something I try to explain to people because I think, you know, we live in the Midwest. I live in the Midwest. Things are very, um, I don't know how to say it. I, I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say, but I think you and the listener will know where I'm going. Things are just very simple, but complex, if that makes sense. And the way I live my life, people look at me and they, they're like, well, how do you do that sometimes? And they think that, um, things are harder or, uh, mm-hmm. more complicated, but really, you know, reality is it's more simple, you know, it's, it's simplified way of living. It is. It is simplified. It is because you're getting back to, again, those factory settings. And what's interesting, one of my mentors in education said this to me years ago, and I've absolutely found this to be true, is when you simplify the systems um, that you play into, you simplify your life. It allows for the complexity of the human being to thrive. The, The opposite is also true. When you go into a complex system, all you can get out is the simplicity of a human and they never get to thrive. You look at school and it's overly complex with all of the different subjects and the broken down grade levels and all the policies and all the different, like it's an overly complex thing. So all you can get out of it is a simple standardized human. And we do that with almost everything. We we overcomplexify our life and we add all of these other, you know, inputs to it. And we wonder why the output is just this simple thing. So um, getting back to the simplicity of it is what allows for the complex, you know, human. And one of the examples and hope and that I've used and, and, um, you know, maybe this will help in conversations or help listeners have conversations uh, with other people. But um, since we moved to, we live in the mountains now. North Carolina. And since we moved here, when I'm in this dungeon down here, when I'm working, I can see out the window and over here, I got, I can see where our chickens are over here. I can see one of the garden areas. And so I came to this kind of conclusion of, of the garden and my wife and my kids really rock the garden area. That's their thing. But what I've noticed is they plant the seeds. And once the seeds planted, they're not doing anything else to the seed. They're not doing anything else to it. They're focused on How much water is it getting? What are the other plants that are next to it? Are those plants helping it grow? Are those plants hindering it from growing? What are the things we need to place around it? So when it starts to grow, it can climb if it needs to climb, go vertical, go horizontal, whatever that looks like. Where is the sun coming in at this point? You know, where does the sun come in at this point? Like everything is the environment. Mm -hmm. The environment is right. The seed just grows into whatever it's supposed to grow into. It does what it is supposed to do. That's about as 
good of a metaphor as I can currently think of for what we're doing as parents, what we need to be doing for our young kids. We need to get the environment right. And then they're going to grow and do what they need to do. But what do we do? As soon as they come out, we bombard them with all of these false environments. We bombard them with javin over here. We send them to a false environment of school over here. We put sunblock on over here. We feed them a bunch of garbage over here. We put a screen over here. So that's the whole thing is let's get back to the factory settings and they're going to be okay if we do that. Yeah. Great analogy. Um, I think I actually shared a seed analogy a few episodes back because we planted our, we started our tomatoes inside a few years ago and where we live is on the prairie. It's very windy. And so they all died when we put them outside because unless we put like a, a block around them so that it protects them from the wind until their roots get deep enough. And, you know, it doesn't work very well, but when we plant the seeds directly outside and they're allowed to grow in the proper environment to start, they do really well. So yeah. yeah. What can we learn just watching nature, right? Just watching nature. We can learn a lot about ourselves. Just paying attention in general, you know, and that's one of the things people struggle with, which is why they live in so much fear. They don't pay attention. They don't look at the patterns. Yeah. Later in this episode, you'll hear Matt speak to one of his family rules, no complaining. Well, Jill Rowe and the Rowe Casa team are a perfect example of incorporating this rule. They had a concern about the toxicity of products we use and our medical system. Instead of just voicing a complaint, they took action, creating an extensive line of products for your home, baby, pets, and family in general. From cleaning products to personal care, I love that when I look at the ingredient labels, I don't have to do an internet search to decipher what's in it. And I can get so much of what I need for my family and home all in one place. If you haven't tried Rokasa yet, click the link in our show notes and make the swap. Use code BOOMCLAP for 20% off your first order. Okay, you said we'll cross that bridge when we get there is a tough way to parent. Yeah. So can you uh, yeah. expound on that just a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, the, the beauty of, um, and the, the, the honor of launching all of the schools that we've launched and we have families that we help through home education. We're launching more schools, working with parents. Like the, the beauty in all of that is you get to work with the young heroes, but you're also working with parents. Um, and so all day, every day we get to, we get to chat with parents, whether they're in our programs or they're coming from outside and they're wanting help. Um, we get a lot of the, Ooh, okay. Now I'm in this quote unquote stage, right? My young person is at this stage. Oh, we're getting into the toddler stage. Oh, we're getting into the teenager stage. Oh, we're getting right. Um, what do we do now? Well, what do you, what did you do two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, eight years ago, 12 years ago? Um, that's a huge part of it is the understanding that like what you do right now and the relationship you're developing with them right now, the environment you have them in right now is how you beat the quote unquote hard stages later on. That's a, you know, I, I want people to understand that people come, wow, my daughter's 16 now. And it's, you know, how it is with 16 year old girls. I mean, I know how it can be. I know how it can be with anybody at any, like I know how it can be, but I also know that it can be extraordinarily positive and phenomenal too, but it usually means you have set the foundation, 
right? You've, you've built a solid foundation. And so that's, that's kind of what I mean as people are going, what's the tyranny of the urgent? Oof. Okay. Well, I'm just going to, right now I just, I'm too panicked. I'm too in my whatever. So here, just have a screen or here, just go over here and, and do this or here, just go to school. And, and I, you know, I'm not going to take the responsibility over here. And then later on, when they've spent the last 10 years of their life being poured into more by peers who are their same age, who have no life experience, who may have grown in a bad environment. And you've got, why are you surprised when that's been the majority of their input, that the output is something you're now struggling with? Take the responsibility now to do what needs to be done now. And that's always the best bet for later on. Okay. This led me to think of something I didn't plan on bringing up, but it just led me to thought, you know, I feel like the way you're trying to get people to parent Mm -hmm. is the minority. I mean, that's, that's just the reality. It's a minority. And sometimes when you're in the minority, but you're doing things in a way that obviously achieves better results for your children, Mm -hmm. that can become offensive to others. And (laughs) it can cause the children and parents, both of the people, you know, going the opposite direction on the road, less traveled, um, to kind of shrink back and maybe be ashamed of how they're not ashamed, you know, Mm -hmm. but, um, maybe not want to be too proud or too bold about how they're doing things or do things, you know, a little more like culture because it makes us more comfortable not to be different and maybe not to be different because we don't want to quote offend people. Do you have anything to say to that? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good point. Um, and I have a couple of, of things that makes me think of one, um, we choose who we connect with, right. As a, as a family. And I'm not saying that we're, it's not a better than, and that's, again, this is part mm-hmm. of the people think, you know, they get offended by it because there's no thought going in under what is being said. There's an emotional response. And, you know, currently we live in a culture and a society when whoever can be the most emotional and can be the most victimized in a circumstance, they've quote unquote won the fight. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's, so people are going to, some people are going to take what I'm saying and they're going to be offended and that's okay. And then some are going to think through what we're saying. Um, but we choose who we, we connect with. Like that's, we choose it, man. We choose who we're around. We choose, um, to be around people who th- think in a very similar fashion. And what I mean by that is that we all have potential and we can all keep working to get better. Like that's the way we operate. I have so many things that I, I can get better at. Um, and I work to do that every single day. My kids, that's the same mindset. We want to get better. We don't want status quo. So we only really hang out with the people that are wanting that as well. Um, who are realizing, you know, people are, it's the pursuit of perfection. Um, realizing we'll never get there mm-hmm. offends people who, uh, would rather stay s- stagnant. And we just, so we just don't engage. Um, we lead, we try to lead, we try to inspire, we try to treat other people well and see if we can invite people to come along. We're building the ark and asking people to jump on board, knowing most people are going to drown. Yeah. I I mean, we don't, that's, that's who we choose to, that's who we choose to engage with. Um, and so we're not going to, we're not going to change that. Okay. Yep. Good answer. I see a lot of people just struggling familial, like with their family as well, just uh, extended family and things, you know, um, I don't know, we had done a Q and a on homeschool. Cause Cecily and I both homeschool and, 
um, I think that that was one of the things we talked about was just how some people are offended. And I think it often stems from the fact that a lot of people don't even think through the fact that there's a different way to do things and they're the lack of, um, being purposeful in their decisions kind of, you know, I think people wouldn't be so offended if they chose to stay in the public school, if they'd actually thought about their decision to be in the public school, if it wasn't just a default decision. So any, anyways, market what they don't understand, right? We've got dogs, we've got sheep dogs. (laughs) You're on, we've got sheepdogs here on the property and they're going to protect everything that's, you know, they're going to protect our livestock and they're going to do what they need to do. But every once in a while, you know, we had a tree that was being fallen in the forest the other day and they couldn't see the guys out there. They could just hear the chainsaws. They could hear the trees and they were just like losing their minds. They're like, we think there's a threat, but we don't get it. (laughs) And that's how a lot of people operate, right? So we can take our time and worry about trying to convince them why we're, you know, or it can take the exact same amount of time, move forward in the ways we want to move forward, do the things we want to do, treat other people well in the process, serve other people in the process, and inspire the right people to join us. Like it's the same amount of time and energy. So we might as well focus on the productive. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So on the topic of school and things, since I brought homeschool up, we have a large portion of our audience who either homeschools or uh, has kind of been on the fence about it and wants to, and I don't even know if you do homeschool your kids or what do you, you know, we do. We do. When we lived in, in California, you know, I was building and I don't even like to use the word school because they didn't operate the same or essentially like homeschool Uh co-ops on steroids. Um, and they were, you know, really, they're a great community. Um, so my kids went there when we were in California, I've gifted those businesses to, um, to the employees, we are still helping people launch these schools across the world. Um, but we home, we home educate ourselves. Okay. So uh, while while we're there, you said you were a career educator before. So you worked in the public school system, right? Uh, yes, ma'am. I was at Stanford for a while, was wearing the, was a public school teacher, a public school administrator, a private school teacher and a private school administrator. Um, which again is why I left all of those to launch real education, Uh not schools. Different. Okay. All right. So one thing you had posted, like I said, I just, I like reading your posts because they're short and Mm -hmm. they're, but they provoke thought. Mm -hmm. So you said sometimes, uh, asking how do I teach my child, you know, fill in the blank is the wrong question. Um, and I think that that's one thing parents struggle with that are wanting to homeschool. I had somebody say, I forgot everything I learned in school. So how am I going to teach my kids? I'm like, well, there's your first clue. You forgot everything you learned in school. So did that serve you well? Um, exactly. but, but anyway, do you have anything to say to that? Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's, it's one of those things that's that again, just take some thought. Like it's what I find is most people have the intellectual capacity to do what you just said, right? Like I came out of this system that left me feeling ill-equipped to teach my own children. Therefore, I'm going to put them back in that same system that left me feeling ill-equipped. Everybody sees the logical issue with that, but it's the emotional attachment to the cult yes. that you grew up in that they have a hard time. And I call it a cult because it's that, right? If I had to go rescue Rita out of a cult that she's been in for 20, 30 years, and I can rescue you you out of there and then go, look, this is the way the world works. And you'd be like, yes, I know. You're still going to want to go do cult stuff because it's just ingrained. 
right? It's mm-hmm. that Stockholm syndrome kind of deal. And so that's what we're dealing with, with, with school here. So, um, you know, that, that particular post that you were talking about, um, what people need to understand is the best way for a parent to perpetuate their child's true education is to increase their own education and to just bring the child along with them. It goes back to what we were saying earlier, where there are certain things the, the highest value things can always be learned, but they're hardly ever taught, right? You can't really teach it. You just had a baby two months ago. Um, I, I can only understand to a certain level what it's like to carry a child. I can understand it from an academic level, right? But I can't understand. I'll never learn that because I'll never experience that. And that's great. That's fine. That's the way that is. But in life, what you're talking about, you were taught how to do trigonometry. But if you've never experienced it, had to put it into play, well, you never actually learned it, right? That's not the same thing. Taking a test from an academic perspective is not the same as actually doing it. So for parents, what do you do? What do you actually do? How are you continuing to grow? And bring your kids along with you. Like that's the most important stuff. And you guys all work on a mission and get better together. Education is wildly personal. It's different than school. That's why I tell families, I don't homeschool at all. I home educate. It's very mm-hmm. different. You don't play school at home. You know, I got my straight A's in school, right? I, and I did it because I, not because I'm super smart, but because I understood how to play the game. Mm-hmm. So I figured that out very, very early. So I got nothing less than an A through high school and college. Nothing less than an A. And then I went back and I took a standardized test a few years ago to show some parents. And I got a quote unquote sixth grade math level test because I don't use it. Right. But I'm wildly educated. I've built, you know, I'm essentially an eight figure entrepreneur. I get paid, you know, corporations to bring me in for an hour and I'm, they're paying me $30,000 to stand on stage for an hour. Um, I understand how cash flow works. P&Ls work. We've got an entire trust system for our family with a 501c3. So we understand how you know the whole tax system works. And we can actually play the 1041 system versus the 1040. So what math matters? So do I need to take my time to try to teach and cram and force algebra down the neck of my 12-year-old? Or... Is it more beneficial for her to come in and go, okay, what does the family budget look like? What does that trust structure look like? What does the PL for this business look like? And this one, and this one. What matters most? Like, what matters most? It's a pretty obvious answer. But what it means is I've got to do the work of creating that and being better for myself in the first place. And then I have to be willing to stop and have the conversation. That translates to everything else. You want your kids to learn how to cook? Cool. You learn how to cook and let them cook with you. And then the better you get at cooking, the better they're going to get at cooking because they're coming along and they're trying all the techniques with you, right? It can be taught to a certain extent, but it's got to be learned through experience. That is quite literally how everything works. And that's why it's so you know individualized too. Mm-hmm. You live in the Midwest. So you're taking care of things that matter in the Midwest you live on, you know, land or farm and you're planting things. Well, guess what? When I was in California, that didn't apply to me because I didn't have it there. Now we're in the mountains of North Carolina. It applies to me. So you and I are learning similar things, but education is wildly personal that way. Yeah. Well, that requires work from the parents and it requires getting out of your comfort zone. And I think we're so tied to comfort 
societally that uh, <laughs> that that's difficult. That requires some work, some internal work on the parents, uh, you know, from the parent. Yeah. Um, and then the way you describe math, you know, one of those is going to potentially allow you to go into the workforce and benefit society in some way benefit, quote unquote, um, mm-hmm. the, the world's definition of benefiting society. And the other one's going to allow you to be successful in home, in your home as an entrepreneur, helping your family ultimately, which, you know, ultimately benefits society, right. In a, in a much larger way, because successful homes, if we had successful homes and families, our culture wouldn't look the way it looks. For sure. And when you take it from a life experience that way, um, it, Everybody, when you take it from a life experience that way, everybody is going to win because you've got these people that are now personally responsible. Mm -hmm. They have the understanding that they are capable of learning what needs to be learned when they need to learn it. Because here's the deal. Uh, If I ask Rita, what does the world look like in 2030? You don't know. You have a guess, but you don't know. Same on my side. Mm -hmm. I get Yes, where it's going to go, but I don't know. What are the tools that are going to be available? Five years ago, would you have predicted uh, chat GPT? No. 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 <laughs> so now it's here, right? So now what? It's not going away. So are you the type of person who is capable enough to go, okay, I'm going to learn what it is. What is the impact? How can I utilize it to do what I want to do? How can I utilize it to serve? How can I utilize it for good things? Am I the person that does that or am I the person that goes, oh, I just can't look at it, can't do it, can't whatever. I'm, I refuse to learn, right? Am I the person that's going to learn what is necessary and am I willing to unlearn what is no longer necessary? You and I aren't connecting over a typewriter. I don't think you use mm-hmm. typewriters anymore. They're no longer a thing. So I don't teach my kids how to use a typewriter. I'll teach them how to type on a computer. It's no longer a thing. I'm right. laughing though because my daughter wanted a typewriter one year for Christmas and she has a typewriter actually. <laughs> I mean, but cool. I'm just laughing because it's kind of funny. And that's just the example I use it. We can use yeah. a cotton or we can use, yeah, you know, I know. Our blockbuster videos and how to yeah. rewind tape. Like, we, things change. So we're the, the people that understand that we're intelligent enough to figure out how to change with them. Or we're so stubborn that we're going to just go, nope, I refuse to do it. Um, I refuse to think about it. I refuse to take the responsibility for it. I'll let somebody else tell me what to do, when to do it. And that's what most people are going to do, which is why we're in the dangerous situation that we're in. Because we're just going, hey, whoever claims to be the loudest authority, you tell me what to do. You take care of me. Um, and that's, that's the opposite of freedom and sovereignty. All right. So this is maybe a bit convicting for me with the AI and the chat GPT thing, because I I mean, Cecily and I talk about this a lot. This is something we have covered extensively on the podcast is the transhumanism agenda, the AI thing, all of this, because I think people need to be aware about it, Cecily, as well. Um, So that values wise, we know how to interact with it or not interact with it, you know, and what we want to incorporate in our lives and what we say no to, it's important to know about. But um, you brought to light, you know, we need to learn how to use it for good and use it within our lives and not just say no to it, not just say, you know, we're not going to look at this at all. So stay there a little bit longer, if you will, with, in relationship to AI, um, 
AR, all of those things. Yeah. And so to, so, you know, the, my, my biggest thing is for people to understand, I use that, that term from, uh, Heraclitus last long ago, where it says dogs bark at what they don't understand. Mm -hmm. We get in the habit of doing that as humans too. And I think that's always dangerous. And that's one of the things that ultimately shuts down any kind of civil discourse. And it shuts down what we were talking about earlier, thinking and or critical thinking, right? I personal emotional response. I'm with you. AI, AR, like, dude, I'm not super pumped about it. That's not something I'm like, Ooh, this is awesome. It's I'm not pumped about it. And I also realize part of the reason I'm not super pumped about it is I don't know a ton about it. I really, but what I do know is it's not going to go away. Yeah. So now because it is going to be a part of society, I didn't choose for it to be part of society. But I also don't have that luxury of having that choice. So I go, okay, how do I, I've got to think through it. How is it going to potentially impact the world? How is it going to change things for the kids that I'm raising? What is the world they're walking into? Is there an opportunity for us to do things with this that are positive? What do I, you know, if I play with it a little bit, do I see the inherent negatives? And then how do I take my, you know, morality and character and judgment into that Right. I've got to, I've got to engage with it to understand where I stand on it. I, you just, I have to, that's my moral responsibility to be able to lead in any sort of fashion that makes sense, especially in my household. It's that right. It's, and I, that's, that goes for any topic. Okay. Very good. Very good. Okay. So let's get back to the male portion of this and just, um, how we, support male roles in society. Cause that was kind of our jumping off point. And we've gotten into a lot of education and just family stuff in general, because that all goes together. Right. But what does being a dad and being the male leader in the family look like for you? Oh, I love that question. It means I go first. It means I go first on everything. It means everything is my responsibility. Um, and that's, that's really ultimately what it means is that I am responsible for, um, doing everything I can to make sure that the needs are met for every human in this household. And when I say needs, it's not just that they're phys- you know, there's a roof on their head over their head and there's, you know, food in the stomach. Yes, that is a part of it. But I get, get the honor of, uh, of, being the one that's got to go first and sacrifice anything that I need to sacrifice to make sure that my wife's emotional needs, spiritual needs, mental, physical, everything is, you know, again, that pursuit of perfection will never get there. You can't be the perfect husband. You can't be the perfect father. You can't be the perfect man. You can't, you cannot do it, but it is our obligation to pursue it, right? You got the, the soldiers at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And, and their, their saying is our standard shall always remain perfection. Right. And so that's our job as men is to pursue it because that just ensures that we're always getting better. So then I take a look at each one of them as an individual and go, how are they, how are they doing? How are they flourishing? Is there any way that I can serve them to a higher level? And then I take another step back and go, and then how is the, you know, you got each individual and we take a step back and go, and how are we all functioning together? What does this look like from a family unit? What is our family mission? What does this look like, you know, together? That is my responsibility as a dad. It's all of those things. And that's not a burden. That's an honor. That's quite literally what the men are built for and designed to do, period. 
Okay. So as women, so we have, I mean, we do have men listeners, which surprises me sometimes, but um, we, we have mostly a predominantly female audience. So how do we support that? How do we help uh, the men in our lives and our sons and things? I have a little boy now, which is crazy. You know, there's nothing, you know, really different about raising a little girl and a little boy, you know, in the first month or so, you know, not not much different, but there's already a different mindset, you know, it's just really interesting to me how I feel as a mother of a boy versus the mother of girls. So how do we support that? Yeah, that's so good. I'm so glad you said that because you feel that and people will go to war with that a lot of times and they'll be like, oh, this shouldn't feel different because they're just, you know, it, it shouldn't feel different. It's just, it's another one of my kids. It shouldn't feel different. Feels different because drum roll, males and females are different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and hey, guess what? It goes back to that conversation of, you know, the way we're designed and just honoring that seed that's planted. There is a difference between male and female. Every species, there is a difference between male and female. So the biggest thing is honoring that difference. It's not one is different, therefore it is better. Right. That's nobody is ever freaking saying that. What we're saying is if you let the male be the best possible version of himself as the male, he has got to lead from that example. He's got to sacrifice everything to go because for us to sacrifice everything to take care of the other people is not a sacrifice. It literally fires us up. That connects us most to like who we're supposed to be. I don't wallow in this and feel like I'm a martyr because I sacrifice my time and energy to make sure everybody in my household is good and make sure I eat last. That's not a martyring thing. It's not a woe is me. It's not a pat me on the back. I feel best when that is how I operate, right? So I need to honor that. And my wife feels best when she is being the best version there of being the one that nurtures, you know, and and is really the nurturing side of that. And, and, you know, is the, um, the soft side to my default aggressive, you know, and, and like, we honor that too. I want her to be that best version there because it's going to temper me. It's the yin to the yang, right? It's, it's that. With our kids, we're doing the same thing. We're realizing that, you know, my kids, I have two daughters and a son. And even the girls, I mean, every, every human is different, but there's some, some things that are more similar here than with my, with my son. So they all have the same father. They all have the same authentic, this is me. They also all have a different father because they're all different humans. And so there's a way that I need to show up and talk and speak life into my 12 year old. That's slightly different than her sister who is 10. And it's not because of the age difference. It's because of just their different humans a little bit. And that's vastly different than the way I show up for my seven-year-old boy because he just needs a different kind of energy. Mm-hmm. And not like uh, he doesn't need a, he just, he needs a little bit of a different, like I need to speak to that adventure side of him. I need to speak to the nurturing side of them and the soft and the feminine. And, but I need to speak to like the adventure dragon slaying part of him and the, and you know, the need to, to, uh, you know, find honor. I always say that, you know, women can do a really, really good job of, uh, talking their way into a different way of behaving and men have to behave their way into a different way of talking or, right, or thinking, you know, it's like, it's mm. a 
two different sides of the same coin. Um, one side just has to go first more often than not for each gender. Um, it's a fascinating game. That's man. interesting to think about. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You said your wife feels best when she's nurturing and, you know, in that mother role. And mm. I would say that is absolutely true. Um, I worked in the ICU for 15 years. I was in charge of men and women at work. And yeah. I was very, if looking back, it was a very masculine role, even though women predominantly are nurses. I worked with a lot of male nurses as well. And it was just, um, a very take charge leadership role. And I had to be very hard and mm. coming out of that job. It's been a really, uh, my involuntary resignation quote unquote, um, was, a, a very big blessing actually in several ways. And it's changed the way I view my, uh, role as a wife. At the end, I was only working one day a week, but mm. that one day a week, that one 12 hour shift really, um, took a lot of me and not having that income to rely on, um, being just present all the time, cooking the meals. Like this has become my job now. You mm -hmm. know, I don't, even though it was one day a week, it was my quote job, you know, and now that my job is mom and wife alone, it's completely changed my mindset around it. And it, it really is what I enjoy. And I talked to Cecily, my co-host about this a lot. You know, I don't even sometimes doing the podcast or, you know, on social media, I've stepped back quite a bit because it just feels noisy and it feels most fulfilling to be in this role as a mother. And truly, I guess that is, you know, how we support the, the men in our lives, right? percent it is like uh, nothing that we have built on this side from the schools to the speaking business, to the coaching, to the new school, like nothing that we have built would have been possible without my wife being mm -hmm. Who she is and what she's doing, you know, and C.S. Lewis had this quote, and I'll, I don't know the exact quotes, but I, I know it was him, but it was something around the effect of, of, you know, the man's job, um, only being there to support the most important job, which is the woman's yeah. job. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's that whole thing. And it's, it's very much the same, like her taking care of all this has allowed us to do this and me doing all of this has allowed her the opportunity to do that. Like it's, it is yeah. two sides of that coin. Yeah. You can't have one without the other. And societally, that's where we've went is trying to have one without the other and or trying, trying to, to both fulfill awesome. the same roles and yeah. it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Bingo. That's it doesn't work. Okay. So as we kind of close out here, tell us a little bit more. Well, one thing you mentioned a white house job you turned down and I feel like everybody's going to want to know what that is. So, yeah. Okay. Right. So I turned that, yeah, that was the, that was the offer coming out of college. Um, and I was talked out of it by a, by a secret service agent. Um, okay. that I knew. so, um, yeah, I turned that down and, and went, cool. Now what? Why did, now, why did he tell you not to do it? Uh, integrity with the most part. He says, you know, there's, you just, I know how integrity is important to, to you and you're going to have to do or say some things that are not completely integrous and you're going to have to tell people certain things that aren't exactly what you're seeing and, um, feels like you're living a lie. Sometimes I don't know that you want to have that on your conscience kind of deal. Okay, cool. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, um, sure. I did, you mentioned that and I was like, I feel like I want to know what that job was. Yeah. But, okay. In closing here, just tell us a little bit more about Apogee and your online trainings. And then, so you have a school and online, correct? 
Yes, ma'am. So we've got the um, the our first campus, and again, I built a bunch of schools under a different network. Uh, okay. We've got the Apogee Cedar Park campus in uh, Cedar Park, Texas. Um, but then we have virtual programs where we've got uh, young men is where it started. We've got men now as well. We'll launch the female part, and all of these things will end up coming together. Um, so. We've got this program for young men. We have young men in every state and in multiple countries, um, 12 or 13-ish to about 18-ish. And they're going through a 12-month process. It's a roadmap for them to follow of projects and experiences. It's the exact thing we were talking about of their learning um, things that can't be taught. They've got to go experience these. So they're taking on these projects and challenges, these specific readings. They're in a private platform where we're talking to them every single day. And then they also have a live call every week with, you know, we'll bring in a famous actor or a professional athlete or a CEO or a Navy SEAL or a, you know, just a really good man to have a conversation with them as well. And a conversation, not talk at them, a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over the course of the year, they build out this digital portfolio of, of work of their transformation into leadership. And that portfolio is open doors. We got, you know, universities that now have, we have blanket acceptance and a scholarship for any young man coming out of Apogee. We've got programs that are blanket scholarships. We've got young men who are 17 getting offered six figure jobs because they're coming out of this, you know, program and they're putting in the work. So we've got all these young guys. We'll do annual um, live events as well and, and bring everybody together. So, and we're doing the same thing for the men, same thing for these men, but their projects and challenges are, are focused on understanding, you know, how to be a better husband, how to be a better father, um, you know, taking a look at understanding the financial realm. If they want to go into entrepreneurship, like, what does that look like? We're doing the same thing for them. going to do the same thing for the ladies and we're going to build out more school, quote unquote, schools that are not schools where it's boots on the ground for people that are like, yeah, well, we can't home educate. So we can't do all the virtual stuff. We need to place the send. Okay, cool. Well, if you've got leaders that want to take a stand in the community, let us help you build a school business that that can be somebody's role, somebody's job. And we can bring our kids there and run these same kind of projects and challenges. Just do it there at the local level um, and put parents through the same growth, uh, you know, as well. So all of it ends up coming together and we got a lot of great people we're getting to work with in the process. So, okay. So the things you're talking about local level, are they actually replacing a school or, okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah not just like a side program. Not just a side program. Cause we know we've got a home education program too. We got parents that are okay. like, Hey, we want to home educate. Like that's what we want to do. Cool. We'll help walk you through that. We have 200 and I want to say like 250 families that we walk through that every, every, like we walk through the entire year with them. Um, so we have that, but we do have so many parents too that are just like, yeah, I, I would home educate or I don't really, eh, I'd rather have a place we can go and build something in the community. And we know how to do that too. You know, the biggest thing for Tim and I is we're just not, um, you know, we have rules in our, in our house. It's a family contract. Rule number six says no complaining, fix it. If it is something <laughs> worth complaining about, find a solution, right? Otherwise, otherwise be quiet. And Tim and I are both that way where it's like, look, man, if there's a problem out there that we are seeing and we can do something about it, I'm not going to say we're going to have the perfect solution, but we're not going to sit on our hands. Like, let's go build a solution. That's good. That's good. Is there any faith component uh, to your school or is it, 
you know, do you kind of leave that off? So it's, I just kind of want to know where you're at on that. Yeah, it's a really good question. So what's been interesting is, so I've run, I ran private schools, you know, I ran public schools, was a public school teacher, public school admin, ran private schools and actually ran faith-based private schools. Um, When we started launching our own schools, the faith component, we switched it to being able to dive in, steel man, and have conversations around faith versus going, hey, we're all coming from the perspective of one faith. And that has been the most effective thing we've seen for faith. It is not the, because what happens a lot of times in faith-based schools is it's just like what we're talking about with everything else. You go in and you just follow the status quo. You don't actually question anything. Mm -hmm. You don't think through anything. You just repeat what everybody is supposed to repeat. You say the things you're supposed to say and you go, all right, cool. Sounds good. Everybody, here we go. Versus Yisrael, what does that mean? It means to wrestle with, to contend with God, to to actually dive in. and So when we've taken that faith-based perspective and gone, okay, what does the faith look like in this room? And the kids, oh, I'm Christian. I'm Christian too. Okay, what does that mean? Well, I'm Catholic. Well, I'm LDS. Cool. Those aren't the same. Mm Mm-hmm. So what do you believe? What do you believe? Why do you believe it? What's your evidence? What's your evidence? Let's talk about this. How could somebody think that you might be wrong? What would that look like? How do we do Like, that's how we actually do it. So yeah, the faith has been a big component in that regard. All right. So somewhat of a apologetics approach, a little, you know, to some I mean, extent. Apologetics, but understanding the civil discourse matters yeah. because at the end of the day, nobody's going to agree with you hundred percent of the time on hundred percent of things. And if what I mean, faith is great, but I actually think it's a bastard. having to defend their faith. Exactly. Like, and, and I actually know why like, they believe yeah. what they believe. This is why, I, this is how I push back on people. And again, people hear what they want to hear and they get offended on this, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, hopefully they'll hear my heart and hear where I'm coming from on this. But if I said, Rita, do you have faith that your husband's faithful, faithful to you? Or do you want to know he's faithful? If, well, you want to know. <laughs> you don't want to be like, I hope he doesn't have other girlfriends. Like, no, you want to <laughs> Right. And so, and I believe with the church, we've relied so much on faith that we're really okay, not questioning anything and diving in and finding the evidence and the answers. Nothing bad comes out of that. Either a, you realize you're missing the boat on something. And so now you're closer to truth or B, it just solidifies Mm -hmm. where you sit in the first place. But yeah. people don't want to do it because if they come to a different conclusion on something than friends or family or the church they go to, that's where they don't want they don't want that, right? Yeah. And, and it goes back to where we were at the beginning. Most people operate out of fear. Yeah. It's a, you know, we question a lot of things, but often we won't question the biggest things. And uh, what is it? I actually just, um, I heard this quote the other day. I had never heard it before. Um, and I thought it was so good. It's, uh, Orson Scott card says, this is how humans are. We question all our beliefs except for the ones we really believe. And mm. those are things to question. Yeah, that's, that's really good. That's really good. And really it goes for everything, you know, any, I always say, you know, if, if you aren't afraid that you're wrong, you know, you're willing to talk these things out with people, you know, but when you are afraid you're wrong, you don't want to talk about it. And so 
really, right. you know, you should be having the conversations to figure out what's right and true. And you really should. And, and you solidify being able to defend what you believe. You have better conversations and you solidify what you do really believe. So for sure. And you get a lot of self-awareness too, when you get the emotional response and when you go, okay, that person disagrees with me and I automatically don't like them or they're saying something I don't like. Well, that tells them that says more about you than about that. And again, when I, you know, say, hey, schooling was designed as the antithesis of, of learning and development. Teachers are like, oh, I hate that guy. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa no, I, I'm on your side. I'm talking about this system. Go look it up and go see if you can find the same facts. Here's where I've got all this information. Here's where I get this from. Don't get mad at me for saying it. Go take a look. Right? And that is true in any big system. You find those people who are, again, emotionally attached to the system, whether that's school, whether that's medicine, whether that's religion. Yep. yep. It all plays into your worldview. And people take one little thing and think that's their worldview, but all of these things yeah. play into it. So anyway, well, Matt, uh, do you have anything else to say in closing? And if you don't, just tell people where they can find you. I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a great conversation. Oh, honor has been mine. And so that's all I want to say is thank you. So I appreciate it. Anytime anybody asks and it's, it's an honor to get to do these every week. So, um, yeah, you can, people can reach out, you know, I'm probably most active on Instagram, just at, at my name and, and, um, but check out what we're doing at Apogee Strong. Um, the new website will go up pretty soon, but apogeestrong.com or apogeestrongprograms.com. Um, I mean, any way I can help, I'm glad to do so. I just want people to think and get out of living in fear and get back towards freedom and sovereignty. Yeah. Critical thinking, but just thinking, right? That's the first step. That was a good way to start this episode. So. All right. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. If you want to find us outside the podcast, you can find us at theboomclapcommunity.com, boomclappodcast on Instagram. You can find Cecily at cecily.dickey on Instagram or thegracetogrow.com. And you can find me, Rita, at ritarogersco.com or Rita Rogers Co. on Instagram. Thank you all for listening. 